Hello and welcome to the Wolf Den Podcast, your home for competitive Digimon, TCG, discussion, and news. I'm your host, Nako, joined by my co-host, Zenitsu. This week, we will be discussing our predictions for the competitive North American BT-10 meta. We are now available on all podcasting networks, including but not limited to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music. Find us at Wolf Den Digimon TCG. On top of that, we are also uh, on YouTube at uh, Zenitsu, and we also stream this live at twitch.tv slash Zenitsu. On to our new segment, Viewer Question of the Week, where we will be taking suggestions on Zenitsu's YouTube page. This week's question, what is a staple of each color? So I think this is a... Uh, not really loaded question, um, but because the game has lots of different archetypes, uh, I personally break down staples by archetype and by color. Uh, so what might be a staple for uh, a color isn't for an archetype. The question is about uh, colors, and the easiest thing to point to is going to be tamers and memory boost. Um, these are cards that just see a wide variety of play. doesn't matter what deck they go in. Um, it just helps whatever deck that you're going to be using. So memory boosts let you usually, uh, at least the color-based ones, look at the top four and then add a card of that color into your hand, specifically Digimon, and then you get to use it for two memory later, helping with your searching and tempo at a later turn. And then tamers come in a wide variety of shapes and forms, but most of the time we're just going to be looking at memory-fixing tamers that are going to be hard-setting your memory to three and the ones that are more staply are the ones that are more like agnostic to a particular strategy, where it's just like, oh, look at the top three, add a green and a blue one. Um, when you're level five or higher attacks, um, draw a card. Like the ones that uh, don't really need a specific strategy to work around are usually the ones that you're going to end up using more often than not, unless a more specific one for that archetype fits that same role, then you're going to want to use that over the generic agnostic staple. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good breakdown of what I would consider to be a staple as well. Um, the, I think the easiest straightforward definition as far as how we refer to it from this point and moving onwards, uh, for anyone that isn't aware, uh, a staple would be strictly a card that is used in a position for a deck um, when a more specific instance of that for a specific archetype isn't present. Something that you're always going to want to run in a deck of a color unless something more useful or slightly more powerful for that archetype can be used. And it kind of forms the base power level for the cover color as a whole. So for Zenitsu's example, um, kind of piggybacking off of him, for blue, you're, you're going to run a Memory Tamer in 95% of lists. There are very few archetypes that don't want Memory Tamers, especially in blue. And that kind of also comes from the power of Davis specifically. Even when Davis isn't grabbing a green and a blue, it's trading for itself and is a Memory Tamer. And it sees enough cards. It just has, has a good effect for its rate and is a fairly consistent memory tamer for blue so 
unless you're running some very aggressive niche archetype of blue that doesn't need a memory tamer, then you're not running Davis. Or if you're running an archetype that doesn't have a specific memory tamer, you're running Davis. Or then, like with the example of blue flares, you're just running blue flare Davis in the form of Kiriha, who is just Davis that does more for its archetype, but it's still just a four-costed memory tamer at the end of the day. And this extends to not just uh, tamers and memory boosts, but uh, specific Digimon as well. One of the more, I guess, infamous examples is going to be uh, Starter Deck Greymon from the very first Starter Deck for Red. If you just don't have a good enough level 4, just the Inheritable of Security Tech Plus is just good enough to want to run anyway. So we saw this in BT6 with Jessmon. Uh, obviously, the archetype wasn't fleshed out, so they had to run some good red staple generic cards. And, well, they easily leaned to use that Greymon just because, well, it was the best thing for what the deck was trying to do and what the color as a whole is trying to do. Um, Ty is also fitting that similar style of build. Um, Red doesn't really have a lot of good consistency memory tamers, so um, they just try to rely on the ones that actually are doing something to help. So at the time, like all the way back then, at that time your choices was literally Ty and Marcus, and if you're not running Greymons, Marcus does absolutely nothing, so you just run Ty because he's the better one of them, and he's still one of the better tamers uh, that Red has as a whole. That is uh, not archetype specific. And a lot of people right now are really, really upset, uh, at least online from what I've read and gathered, um, about Death Exmon being a good staple because, well, his effect reduces his play cost to make him be able to run in any deck just because you don't care about his colors because you're always going to be hard playing the card. And because he's a Digimon, you don't need to worry about lining up the colors at all. You just need to worry about the opponent's board state to see how playable that card is. And while he's usually going to be pretty decent uh, at being in level 7 that you could just hard play for a reduced cost. Yeah, I know Death X is, is definitely a hot button issue right now for a lot of people. Um, but leaning, like expanding the idea of the, the staples, um, there are also staples in other aspects so the example I brought up when I considered this question is if you're running a black deck and you're you're going to run some amount of hard high-costed kill cards or security removal and there are a couple good options you can use and it usually depends on the meta that d dictates which card you use um, the most apt comparison would be ultimate flare versus iron fisted onslaught they cost the same they both ultimately just kill something. Um, they sometimes both kill multiple things, depending on the meta. But they're run agnostic of a specific engine that they operate with. And then only if you're using a specific list that does have a removal card that is also specific to that archetype, then you would run that in the form of like a brave metal where it doesn't do what you would want it to do if you're not running an ex-antibody deck. 
So you get the benefit of getting a, just a hard removal for 5 as opposed to 8 if you're running Brave Metal, but you have to be running an X antibody deck, and you have to have you know, a substantial amount of sources under an X antibody Digimon for it to get its true value. And this is just more than just the black example. Uh, a lot of different colors have basically this like agnostic removal where like here is just the big uh, I'm just going to default to Gaia Force because that was like the first big instance of it. Mm -hmm. Like this is the colors Gaia Force and then you have this is your archetypes Gaia Force. So uh, blue as an example um, or uh, I guess Imperial is a really good example of this where it's just like oh I could run Kakaitis Breath to just bounce something back to the opponent's hand or I could just run uh, Megadeth because I'm in my deck playing those two colors and the deck lets me use those two colors very easily to the point where I don't even have to think most of the time that Megadeth is going to be online or offline. It's just basically fulfilling that same role uh, for a cheaper cost um, that the deck can easily achieve. So there are obviously more examples. Um any card you see coming up in list after list of, of differing archetypes, um, depending on the specific color. Uh, there are almost too many to mention, but that's at least what we define to be a staple and some examples of them. So anytime you hear us talking about staples in the future or this card may become a staple, that's really what we mean. Yep, and staples also come in and out, as uh, Nako mentioned, depending on the meta. Uh, for a while in the early metas, we saw blockers being a huge staple card. Um, now blockers, at least that type of blocker, isn't as relevant. Some of them still are, um, and some of them still see some play, but not to the level that they used to. But that doesn't mean that they're not necessarily a staple, because they're just a good generic card that any deck of that color can run. Yeah, I guess, yeah, really going back to the, like, the black option card option discussion, then Ultimate Flare versus Iron Fist at Onslaught, it is very debatable which you use depending on the meta, and uh, with reference to Zenitsu's point about Death X, if we weren't in a meta just absolutely overrun by Tamers and decks that use and abuse Tamers, then we wouldn't, Death X wouldn't be a problem, because Death X wasn't run by the top five or six decks of last format five yeah the, the majority of the top decks uh in bt9 did not use nor need death x because uh they weren't necessarily like single stack decks but they didn't play into the strengths that made death x a really good card um and the same type of strengths that made death x a really good card is what made like tommy a really good card uh, where it just takes advantage of a wide field. Well, BT9 didn't really have a wide field, so therefore the cards weren't super relevant. Granted, Tommy did get limited to one, but I digress. And then even like going all the way back to if you're not... You, you use a staple when a more specific archetypical version of that card isn't used. And while Death X is... There is no archetypical version of it in any deck or any color combination those decks weren't using that card that was available at that time just because their archetypes were so succinct and so tight they didn't have room to run death x even one copy so 
the only reason we're seeing it open up now is because with the engines that we're working with that are more of meta threats are have room for those copies of those cards and if they had other cards that were equally powerful within their archetype they would probably use those instead i would definitely agree because a lot of the time uh the way digimon likes to do things uh detracting a little bit uh is they'll create the archetype uh with its first wave of support and usually that first wave of support isn't really enough to bring the whole deck together uh and then they'll let subsequent sets later down the line um fill in those gaps to be able to have more of a tool uh or a toolbox to be able to fit what it wants inside of what it needs and uh cards like death x are really really good um, not only just for tech cards, depending on where the meta is, but for filler slots to fill in some of those gaps that the deck seems like it's lacking and missing. So this week, um, as I mentioned at the beginning, we'll be discussing just our expectations for the competitive BT10 meta, the decks we expect to do well, what we expect those decks to look like, how we expect those decks to play with each other, and just the overall competitive scope as we enter this next wave of events. But uh, before that, we actually came across a little bit of new, well, I guess it's kind of new news. Um, we discovered recently that there actually is a limitation to the amount of um, store championships you can enter while using the Bandai TCG app. So uh, going into this type of a competitive environment where we have two waves of store championships, this is something we kind of have to keep in mind because it does limit the competitive scope that we're actually allowed to play in for better or for worse. Yeah. Um, thank you for mentioning that. I forgot again. But um, yeah, that this was made aware to me by a local player who verified it. just kind of showed me through the app. Um, this is the TCG Plus app physically restricting the entry to store championships with a hard cap of five per competitive season, thus being the 2022 competitive season, you know, starting. So there were only two separate blocks of store championships, but um, they are, they share a, a max cap of five between the two. So um, people can't just enter every single store champ for the entire competitive season because they will get locked out of the ability to enter, um, which I think is a really good thing. It's something I know we've advocated for in other areas where if there are only four ultimate cups in a month and it's the same 512 players basically in each one because those are the only players that know to be online exactly as the entries open and they sign up the second that it opens and they sign up for all four of them and they lock people who aren't as much in the know or aren't as involved in the competitive process out of it. And now, so, whereas the first couple of store champs, I know I had to sign up. Well, I, I had to sign up before Zenitsu knew there were store championships because my store, for whatever reason, puts out this information well in it before Bandai's announcement even. So I, I basically get to tell... Uh, my teammates when there will be another wave of store champs because I'll have to sign up for mine before Bandai even announces them but 
um then now as a lot of those like hardcore local players have capped out and they're physically locked out of entering uh it's a lot easier for a more casual player to get involved because the people who've already participated in five physically cannot participate now and they were fairly difficult to get into because they only have they have a hard cap of 16 entries per event which is a little weird because i don't believe they did last year uh i i think last year there was a hard cap of 16 but the uh rules behind what qualifies for an invite were different mm. uh because last year you had to be exactly at that 16 um and now we only need to be at eight uh which is pretty lenient mm. um on top of that um yeah uh when it comes to like online regionals, you're still able to play in online regionals. Um, during the last, or I guess the first wave of uh, invites, um, I played in uh, regional one week, uh, one day out of the weekend, and then uh, store champ another day. So I haven't exactly hit my cap yet, but if I was just doing nothing but store champions, I probably would have already. Um, so the fact that regionals do not count towards this cap means that that is another opportunity that you could seek in order to be able to get your invites to uh, nationals. Yep, yeah, it really should open up the capability of more people getting invites and less individuals hogging all of the potential invites, or at least all the potential entries to the tournaments to at least, for nothing else, just enjoy a locally centralized competitive experience which is usually the ceiling of a lot of players who they care to be competitive locally they don't care to do massive online tournaments where they're going to win or lose against somebody across the country and they would much rather just play with their friends at their local store but play you know for something and then at least be able to say that they qualify to the national event should they win that local. And this has its own pros and cons to it. Like, it kind of does suck sometimes um, that, like, oh, there actually is a limit, so if you burnt all of yours in the first wave, now you're just completely locked out of playing Digimon pseudo-competitively um, for the second wave. But at the same time, because invites aren't passing down, it keeps the same person from attempting to win all of those store championships and uh, taking up slots that other players were previously denied opportunities. Uh, so, like, it is a double-edged sword. I think it's more of a good thing than a bad thing, uh, just because we do have uh, usually lots of online tournaments to try to subsidize it. So, hey, if you're not planning on playing on all of the store championships, now you have the opportunity to try to do some online tournaments as well. Uh, I remember last year, I missed out on my Nationals opportunity because I was playing in an online event that didn't have an invite. I ended up topping that event, but uh, it didn't really matter outside of the prize card that I got. But had I got my uh, invite earlier in the season, um, or I capped out, I would have felt a little bit better knowing that, hey... I still have something I'm able to do. I still can play Digimon, even though I've been I hit my cap. Okay, Grandpa. We've all heard the story about how you would have gotten invited to nationals if you didn't win your DC one. It's the third time you've told that story this week, but I think the worst. No. Um, 
Oh, you you have told that story at least three times in the podcast, but um, I digress. The uh, th- I think the worst downside is there is a I guess middle road of people, uh, not a large middle road, but a, a fairly like sizable middle road, um, of players who were knowledgeable about these events, wanted to be competitive, and then just happened to, without necessarily knowing it, because Bandai has made no mention of this. That's why we felt the need to mention it. We tried to men- we forgot to mention it last week. We Zenitsu did not let me forget it this week, and just our PSA to the public that this there is a cap, it's five, and it counts the whole year. Because um, I know for my locals, I could have participated in five in three weeks, like Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, Saturday, Sunday, and I'm done for the week. I'm done for the year in a two week span, and um, for a lot of players, I feel like they potentially fall into that window of they, without knowing it, signed up for the most competitive versions of those store championships because the most competitive uh, players will played those first events because they didn't know there was a hard cap. They didn't realize that they were potentially signing up. And now you may have some store champs at the very tail end after all the competitive players have slowly capped out and have been unable to enter. You have someone who didn't win a single round their first store champ now just win by proxy just because everybody better than them has either lost or capped out. Uh, and it also does kind of create this like pseudo bad feeling like on the more negative aspect. I know one of my friends, he's trying really, really hard to get into nationals and he's already on like his last one or two events. And like that puts a lot of extra pressure on him because also I'm sure he's unaware that there is a cap. I'm thinking he's going in week by week being like, oh, I didn't win it this time. I'll just go to the next one. Oh, I didn't win this time. I'll go to the next one. Now he is almost at his tail end and he still doesn't have his invite. So I'm really praying that he gets it off of like his last one or two that he's actually able to enter. Yeah. So PSA to those that weren't aware. I know I wasn't aware until I got a message from my local discord that kind of organizes all these various local game stores that hold competitive events that because we have so many locals near us and they do run store championships and they do run those types of Bandai sponsored competitive events, there is a hard cap and a decent number of players in my local area discovered that without any any notice from Bandai. There was no announcement that this is a thing. The only way to verify it is to personally verify it. Just try and sign up for a sixth event and you, you hit apply to the event and it'll pop up and say, nope, you've already done five. And that's basically the only verification I can provide to you as to the validity of our claims. Um, But I've seen it for myself. So um, finally getting towards BT10. um, Our discussion will center around the meta, probably just starting from the top-ish down. This isn't in any particular order, but there is a very clear way to place to start, and that is with Crosshearts. I mean, the... He's literally on the package. <laughs> yep, and uh, he did absolutely gangbuster numbers in Japan, easily by a country mile being the best deck. Um, and he is, uh, he being Cross Hearts um, and Shout Cross 4, um, is looking to be in a very strong position, even in our meta. 
Uh, I don't think that the deck is like tier zero. Um, it does have its strengths and it has its weaknesses, and there are ways to be able to counterplay against it. Uh, but it is definitely a very, very strong deck, trying to be basically like hybrids 2.0. You're just going to be spamming your tamers. Your tamers are going to then be spamming your Digimon. Then your Digimon are going to hide underneath your tamers when they get deleted, ideally when you're attacking into them, or just, you know, passively through uh, the opponent's card effects will delete them. Uh, and then you just use them again as material to be able to play your higher level Digimon for basically cheap, if not free, and then continue the aggression that way. So I think we, we can take this opportunity to just explain what the deck does, just so we don't have to repeat ourselves potentially in the future, and we're just going to try and use this episode as a metric for anyone that isn't aware in the future, because uh, while we try and cater to the most competitive audience, and most of us are at least aware of what Cross Arts is and does and why, uh, it isn't beneath us to just kind of catch everyone up and so that we can therefore in the future explain it and understand it at a level to where I don't have to tell you what card I'm referring to, which Shoutmon or which Tamer and why that Tamer's there, what they do. And so I have in front of me just like a very generic uh, cross arts list. Um, so the list is basically just Rookie Rush 2.0. Uh, it's Rookie Rush Kindergarten Edition. It's what happens when you take a hybrid deck and then you tell them that you don't actually need to run hybrids that digivolve over your tamers. Your tamers can stay there. You can instead use the new save mechanic and then when a Digimon is deleted, you tuck it under a tamer as like a Digivolution source and then all of your hard-played Digicross Digimon Shout 4 and Shout 5 um, allow you to take those tamers. Uh, I guess uh, with the invention of um, the yeah, red... Taiki... Yeah, Taiki. Yeah, Taiki. Taiki specifically allows you to, when you play... Because I think the strict wording of Digicross says only from play hand field or, field. or hand. Yeah. But Taiki yep. allows you to cheat and use these saved Digisources as Digivolution materials, basically allowing you to make ridiculously cheap on plays with very powerful effects. Most notably, Cross 4, their level 4, which is also why it's kind of a rookie rush deck, because it just uses a bunch of level 3s and 4s with only one level 5. And you play Cross 4, taking one of each of the level 3s, or the, I guess, material Digimon minus Sparrowmon, one Shout, one Starmon, one Darulamon, one Ballistamon. Tuck them underneath. Um, also worth it to note here that you take them in the particular order they are mentioned, from left to right, from top to bottom. So left to right across the text box, sourced from top to bottom, just like how uh, Jogress had a specific one goes on top of the other. You technically must make the stacks in a very particular way. Uh, per the wording of the card and the wording of the mechanic. Uh, cross 4 with 4 sources becomes a play cost of 1. Yep. And for 1, you then get to just hard play a Digimon that then gains Rush and allows you to draw 2 when you play it, 
reminding myself of all of its abilities. You draw two when you play it. Um, as then well Shoutmon as Shoutmon gives it rush. Shoutmon gives it rush. Ballistamon gives it piercing. Starmon's gives it just draw. the ability to draw one, one when you attack. And, and then Darumon makes it so that the enemy's security Digimon are 2k weaker. And Shout uh, Cross 4 is an 8k already, so he's technically going to be swinging for 10. So, uh, really, like, the, the true power of this deck is realized when you consider that you've already chipped away at your opponent's security via these rookies, and then whenever they die, or rookies and level 4 is just all the save level, save tier Digimon. And once they are saved, you then just play Cross 4, um, and... Also, at the end of attack, you get to take all the sources from Cross 4 and place it underneath uh, a tamer and unsuspend that tamer and then delete so then this Digimon. Base... So you just recycle yep. Cross 4s. Yep, and even if Cross 4 manages to die uh, mid-swing and he's unable to get his end of attack, he still has material save 2. So you could at least save 2 of your materials. Uh, but the fact that you already drew to made a swing is still already a huge tempo play into gaining a lot of advantage. And you can use materials and, from your hand if you really needed to. Yep, to, to replay Shout for uh, and try again, basically. So, uh, And then part of the other strength of the deck is just the vast amount of colors that the deck is playing. So your tamers give you a lot of different color access. So Taiki is the red tamer. You have Akari, which is a yellow tamer. You have Ken, or not Ken, uh, Senjiro, Senjiro. Uh, which is green. <laughs> and then ideally, you're going to want to play Kiriha. Uh, even though he's not a Cross Hearts tamer, he's just another tamer that lets you use the Digimon you're saving for material, and he's blue. So you already have a wide variety of different colors, which could be a both good thing and a bad thing. Um, depending on your option suite. Yeah, Kiriha just becomes a, a blue tamer that costs one more than Taiki does, but Kiriha is also a memory tamer, so it lets you run a pseudo on-archetype memory tamer. Not that this deck necessarily needs a memory tamer, because as I mentioned in the best case scenario, you play cross four for one. One, mem one memory Swing. Um, yep. And so there are other options people run. I know starter deck, TK was a uh, not starter deck. Uh, uh, BT one tie, the good tie, the only tie people really ever ran, was run initially because it was more on color, more on theme, and it would give shout four plus one security attack. Um, but because basically, he's shoving four sources underneath, that's meeting yeah. the conditions of tie. While Shout 4 is also a red and yellow Digimon himself. Yeah, and um, it was basically ultimately found that, well, it's not a bad card. It's not as consistent as Kiriha is, only because um, if you think of any mm -hmm. engine ever that ever is, if you could run additional copies of that card, except it costed one more, would you? And the answer is yes. And it basically lets you run. Uh, six or seven copies of Taiki, except some of them are going to cost a little bit more. But are also memory tamers, so you don't, you're not uh, disappointed when you see the first one. Yep. 
And then uh, to culminate, like, to the, the Apex card of the deck is going to be Shout Cross 5, which he already naturally has security attack plus 1. He has the same Digicross requirements as Shout 4, with the addition of Sparrowmon, um, and with all of those cards um, going underneath due to the Digicross, he is actually free. He does not cost anything to use. Granted, uh, he has security tech and blocker uh, material save 3, so when he dies, he's saving 3 material. He doesn't have the ability, like Shout 4, to basically like loop himself, to be able to shove the material back under, reuse them, so this is like more of your big ender uh, because Sparrowmon also gives reboot. So you're going to have a security attack one, blocker reboot, piercer, draw card, all that nine yards, um, which is like absolutely insane uh, considering he is a level five with 10k. So with the Rudelmon, he's uh, swinging into security at at least 12k. Um, so yeah. it's just a deck with lots of high synergy pieces that are all just trying to basically be shoved under cross four. Um, you're trying to loop your cross fours until you run out of cross fours, and then you're going to go into your cross five, and that's going to act as another game finisher. Um, while your Digimon still are getting pretty decent value because they're aggressive rookies that you want to use, uh, whether you're hard playing uh, for like Shoutmon's um, playability himself, or you're just trying to get onto the field because of the other tamers that are able to play those Digimon. So like Akari's able to just on play, uh, play a Darumon from either your hand or it's uh, underneath this Digimon, or not Digimon, underneath this tamer. So it's just an easy way to be able to spawn bodies while you're spawning a tamer. Uh, and then they'll also have their own effects so it's just an absolutely menagerie of abilities, uh, all on the low end, all playing for very cheap in various different colors. So you have a wide variety of different things that you can do inside of it. Yeah, one thing about the save mechanic, though, is it essentially allows you to play Rookie Rush. Um, I guess it's Rookie Rush, but it plays more like Commandramon without a specific Commandramon engine, because... As you're chipping with these rookies, you are accruing a, a backlog of value that then can be abused by Shout4 to just absolutely end the game in a way that Dark Dramon isn't for the Command Dramon engine. So you can still play Dark Dramon for very cheap, but then it kind of gets rid of your Command Dramons. It, like, it, it uses them as a resource from your trash. It does not use your Digimon, assuming that Cross4 doesn't die um, while swinging as a resource because it completely resets for the next cross four to do the same thing and once you have a taiki on the field and a full suite of cross four digi sources saved you can essentially just play as many as you have until the game is over and this isn't even taking into account uh akari and zenjiro's ability to be able to just gain you resources so Zenjiro gains you a memory when you uh, play a Digimon with cross hearts. Uh, you do have to suspend it, so it is kind of like a soft once per turn. Um, and Akari lets you draw a card, so you're still gaining lots of value for the usage of your tamers, as well as just being able to efficiently play your Digimon. Um, so the dark horse of this deck is that this deck also runs we, we've left the meta where 
Dex, Dexmon, Dexmon was only used by cards trying to compete with the top end decks, and is now then used and abused by the top end decks. And because Cross Hearts is a deck that goes so wide with tamers, all trying to, you know, play them for free via effects or play other Digimon for free with their effects. And Death X allows you to play into the mirror very easily because, as we mentioned in our Staples segment, it is just a basically just an option card that says, you know, D-Digivolve 1, destroy all level 4 or lower, and I make myself cheaper depending on how many U-Tamers you have, of which there will be many if you're playing against Cross Arts. Yep, even though it doesn't necessarily do anything like super insane against Cross Hearts, because most of the time you're not really going to be sitting on Digimon, and if you do, they're going to have the save ability anyway. Um, it's just the fact that it's a very large body that Cross Hearts will have a very hard time dealing with, uh, even in the mirror. So there, there is just a huge power dynamic when that card just hits the field. Because Crossheart's big removal option that it wants to use outside of basically Death X is going to be in the form of um, Sunrise Buster, just because it's already playing a red tamer, it's already playing a yellow tamer. Half of its Digimon are red and yellow already, so it's just a very easy card for the deck to run to also just play your tamers. But it takes, what, five tamers on the field um, in order to delete a Death X, and, you know... With five tamers on the fields, they probably played that death X for borderline nothing. And I think the most frustrating aspect, at least to a lot of players, where death X becomes a point of contention is that it will, especially at the local level, because when we when we ever speak to the competitive level, cost is never an option. If you want to be competitive, you have to spend money. That is true for every card game. It's unfortunately probably true in life. Uh, but... Um, for the local levels, you might have somebody where two players are playing in the finals, and they both have cross hearts decks, and one of them has death X and one of them doesn't, and just that ability to, oh, you have overplayed your tamers, you haven't found your exact pieces yet, maybe you're still waiting on a Taiki or a Kiriha, so you can't start looping yet, or you don't have all your pieces, so if you want to start playing cross fours, it'll be too expensive, and... I now play Death X, and now not only are you unable to close the game on the following turn, but you are now at risk of just uh, the slow grind and chip that is Death X. Because as Cities mentioned, Death X technically doesn't do anything in two cross hearts if they are already set up. It doesn't kill their tamers, and it ultimately won't kill their Digimon either because they could just end the turn with nothing on the field because cross four will delete itself and save all of its sources via its own effect so it'll never die to death x if you know what you're doing and so in in that regard it's not really uh, a tool to put death x back but it is a tool to if you're still not a hundred percent prepared to end the game death x becomes a significant hill to climb that you probably as anitu mentioned you probably just don't remove. It's just, it is going to swing every turn for a security check. You'll never be able to swing over it because you're not going to be tall enough with any of your Digimon unless you also run Death X that just trades with it. Um, so it just becomes that omnipresent threat on the board that'll basically never go away. 
Yep, and it's not like CrossHearts can gain that much memory where they could realistically make a big, um, like, a su- against the suspended Death X, like, they would still have to, like, Sunrise Buster, reduce it as much as they possibly can, ideally playing an Akari, um, to be able to then play a Darurumon for more DP reduction. Like, it does have some DP reduction, but it's not, like, a huge, ginormous burst. It's not like, oh, here is um, a... Uh, I was about to say Ultimate Flare because you were mentioning it so much. Uh, Wyvern's Breath. They don't have exactly a Wyvern's Breath to just be like, oh, you played Death X? Here's Wyvern's Breath. And even then, that one-for-one trade is in your deficit because they probably played their Death X for less than you played your Wyvern's Breath. Yeah, you're, you're probably playing Death X on average for a cost reduction of 9 to... 12, I guess. Like, I'm just trying to consider on average. Like, if your opponent average, has too many Digimon, tamers. Two tamers, yeah. Well, on average, I mean, maybe they have a Digimon. I guess they're not always just passing turn with their, an empty board. but So, like, one Digimon, two tamers is already minus nine. And two that's Death X, which makes them cost 11. And, and honestly, at that point, it's... I would say you probably need, like, one or two more. I mean... I, I, I've played a lot of Death X because I was one of the few decks last format that was playing Death X, and I feel like my best case scenario for playing Death X is when I'm playing them for 5 or 8. So cost reduction of 12 on average is usually at the part where I start to consider playing actually playing the Death X. Um, because if Death X was an 8-costed option card, it would still be good. <laughs> um, but... Um, just little segments of like pieces of why Crosshearts is is really just that good. Um, Akari is a very interesting card. Akari Hinamoto, the Yellow Tamer, because she and her corresponding Digimon Darulamon are basically their own little engine. So, uh, one of the like better plays of the deck allows you to play Akari for three which then lets you play a Darulamon from your hand for free, which normally it costs four, so you're already up there. And Darulamon allows you to minus... Or if you have a Digimon or Tamer with Crossarts in its traits, which you do, you just played one, uh, minus 3,000 DP from a target, so potentially getting rid of a Floodgate, which otherwise would be a significant problem for this deck, as there are Floodgates that reduce the ability... remove the ability to reduce play costs... Um, and then Akari can then cycle back to her own effect. When you play a Digimon with Crosshearts, you just did using her own effect, you can then tap her to draw one. So that whole cycle of three memory is play a Tamer, play a Digimon, tap the Tamer, draw a card, potentially kill something for three memory. And it's one of the reasons why uh, the deck has really good mana or memory efficient tools to be used before they're just OTKing you with crosshearts. Zenjiro has a very similar ability. On play, play a Ballistamon from your hand or from under a tamer without paying its cost. So even if you've already used a Ballistamon on a previous turn, potentially just digivolving over your uh your rookie for two or just hard playing it for four, you then have the ability to just recycle it. I, like the the deck's engine is very synergistic, which is why it is so powerful. And 
I guess just the fact that it uses it uses and abuses tamers, which outside of a very few key cards are just uninteractable. Yep. Which is why I think one of the like other best decks to take into this format was one of the better decks from last format, which is going to be uh, Blackboard Greymon. Um, so not to like shift gears, but mm -hmm. uh, Blackboard Greymon was one of the more popular, or I guess uh, Gaiomon, um, was one of the more popular decks from last set. He was, what, the third or fourth best deck? Um, and he's one of the few fourth, cards... Yeah. Uh, he was one of the few um, cards and decks that actually does have Tamer interaction. The fact that uh, Black War Greymon, when you did you bop up into him, if he has both a red and a black source, you could kill a total of uh, play cost of six between Digimon and Tamers. At worst, if it's just black, you could still kill the Tamers. Uh, or if it's just red, you could kill the Digimon. Ideally, you're going to be doing It'll both. always be both, honestly. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll always, be, always both. be both. <laughs> Um, so the fact that a lot of these tamers do cost three make it so that they are pretty vulnerable, um, but you aren't necessarily going to be able to get up into Black War Greymon like over and over and over again to realistically keep the tamers down. Um, it is annoying for the Crosshearts deck losing a couple tamers, but like the deck is just chock full of tamers, um, and that's kind of why um, Kiriha is actually pretty important. Because he's basically acting like a secondary Taiki, um, so you can still use the Digimon underneath them, even against the Black War uh, matchup. Because now they have to choose, do I kill the one Kiriha, or do I kill the Akari and Zenjiro? Like, it really forces them to think what they want and what they need to be deleting. And there will obviously be a lot of skill when it comes to the Crosshearts player. In regards to in those matchups where they could have tamer removal, where specifically are they putting their tamers? You could potentially try and bait your opponent into just removing the Kiriha, even if maybe you have a Taiki out and you don't necessarily need the Kiriha for its replication of the Taiki ability. But um, if you put a couple important sources underneath Kiriha, now you're kind of baiting them to kill the Kiriha and therefore remove the sources underneath Kiriha and not kill, potentially, the Taiki and the Zenjiro that both potentially have important sources as well, themselves. Uh, so, there is... Um, I, I don't think we um, tr need to transition like super hard away from Cross Arts, because I think the greater discussion here that everyone's kind of talking about is, well, okay, if Cross Arts is this good, we just kind of explain why Cross Arts is this good. Is it the best deck of the format? Is it unbeatable? Is it another situation where you're if you're not beating if you're not playing cross arts you're not beating cross arts? Uh, I don't think it is. Cross hearts still has some inconsistencies. If your colors and tamers uh, and Digimon don't line up perfectly, then you are still kind of stumbling. So like an Akari play without a Darumon is still it's not super inefficient but it is slower than if you just already had the pieces. Um, and then if you don't see like any red sources, then you can't use uh, your options as effectively because most of the time your options is going to be uh, Sunrise Buster, which requires both red and yellow. Uh, you're playing yellow eggs, so it really puts a heavier emphasis on your red Tamer and your red Digimon, which right now is only Taiki. 
And that's kind of like a little bit of a like tech benefit to running the ties um, uh, outside of the damage boost is he's another red tamer. We never um, mentioned it, but a lot of lists usually run a tech one or two of the red yellow tamer as well. Yeah, so that they'll also yeah they'll also run um, TK and Kari from BT9, uh, which also when you're swinging with your uh, on colored Digimon. Um, will further reduce the opponent's Digimon's security uh, DP. So, so that also helps. So I feel like um, interesting, like like little competitive history lesson. Um, originally, like for the very like very beginning inklings of BT10 in Japan, Crosshearts did absolutely nothing. Like you can go back and look at the first couple meta reports from the first two weeks, I think, of BT10, and everyone was playing it. But it didn't win anything. It, it won very few. It was like a tier 3 deck. And it wasn't until um, players in Japan put together the pieces of the Red Yellow Tamer and Sunrise Buster that allowed this deck to really like just lock into place. That it was, it was just shy of being usable. And it really just kind of solidified it. Obviously Kiriha was maybe just like the oil on the cogs. It was already functioning and Kiriha just sped it up. But the the fact that the deck wants to play tamers but it doesn't always have the pieces to play the tamers as any you mentioned and you end up in this situation where uh like i'm a crosshearts deck i'm a rookie rush deck i don't have i don't just want to hard play my darulamon for four i would much rather just play my akari but i don't have an akari or i have an akari but i don't have a darulamon is it now i just play it for three and i don't get to play the guy for free and I don't get to draw a card, this is, it's it just way worse of a play. And uh, Sunrise Buster also gave it a significant security threat, because it's something that Commandramon has now adapted to, um, as of its BT9 iteration, where being a rookie rush deck has always been this risk that, oh, I can just absolutely blast your security with anything that moves, because your deck is full of rookies, I'm never dying to a Digimon in security, and now that they're running Sunrise Buster, they have security threats that not only facilitate their game plan that allow them to play tamers on your turn, essentially, but also can kill your guys with high-powered security threats. And it's one of the largest reasons why, um, for the Japanese BT-10 meta, Metal Guru X completely fell off because nothing in its toolkit prevents it from getting deleted because it gets DP reduced, and hitting the threshold to delete Metal Garurumon is honestly pretty easy with Crossarts. I mean, considering your main level 4, which you're running 4 of, is 8k, and then your main level 5, which you're running usually 3 to 4 of, is 10k, um, and the biggest that you generally are going to be making your uh, initial wares when you're going to start doing the multi-attacking shenanigans is uh, 8k. Like, it already makes it so that it's super easy to pop Three tamers. The, uh, Three tamers kills yeah. it. And then your Three whole game plan's kill gone. Three tamers kill it. Yep. And, and that third tamer would get played from hand. So if they have two tamers, you're threatening... They're threatening lethal if you hit a Sunrise Buster. If they have two tamers on the board and one in hand, you've already died if you hit Sunrise Buster. I, I mean, it's not to discredit, like, Metal Guru, because, like, obviously security is uh, a huge RNG factor. Yeah. If you don't see it then Metal Guru can still absolutely blast through their security, but it does... It's um, just something add... they have to keep in the back of their mind now. Yes, uh, there are more significant 
security threats that Garurumon is going to have to fight through, uh, not only just in this deck, but in uh, something like Blue Flares as well, where they are going to be running their big hard removal option because it is easier for them to use, and uh, like it's easy for you to maintain their stunned board once they have a stunned board. Um, but that was kind of the big weakness to uh, Blue Flares, was if they don't have a wide field, then Blue Flares just kind of stumbles and they can't use half of its effects. Yeah. Um, Which, yeah. Blue Flares, uh, history lesson, was the top deck in Japan starting off because of just the the unfamiliarity with how the decks worked uh, just led Blue Flares to basically be like Blue Hybrids 2.0. Oh, you have Digimon on your field? Shame on you. You Those are going to not do anything, and then I'm going to start accruing lots of value because you can't do anything with your Digimon, and now all my effects are basically online, and I can do absolutely ballistic stuff. Yeah, just imagine the same previous situation I, I said before, but say you're at 2 memory, and you play an Akari to play a Derulamon to potentially delete something, and then you tap the Akari, draw one, but now you're passing one memory to your opponent, and you have a Derulamon on the field, and then Blue Flares just turns around and just spanks you for it. Absolutely punishes it. Um, so, while um, with the advent of more information and more understanding of how the decks interplay, uh, I think Blue Flares will not perform as well in North America. I think there is at least room there with CrossArts being the big bad of this format, with everyone aiming for it as far as teching their decks against it, I think Blue Flares still operate in a capacity that will allow it to attack and fight back against Crosshearts. Uh, I th I'm personally in the camp where I think like we're going to have this like interesting triangle dynamic where it's just like, okay, you're teching yourself to beat um, Crosshearts, but now you're leaving yourself open to basically be absolutely blasted by something like Blue Flares, where, yes, they're still trying to do some very similar things, but they're a little bit less reliant on just having a wider field. Like, they're more quality over quantity. Um, so, we don't necessarily need to explain Black War Greymon, because it's not doing anything different this format nope, than it, it was. it got a total of zero new tools. It is doing the exact same thing, utilizing the Wargrey engine for protection, and then still running the control high-end of Gaiomon for damage and uh, Black War for control. But we should probably at least go through what Blue Flares is and why it's good and what it's trying to do. Yep. Also, like uh, part of the reason why um, Blue Flares was uh, pretty strong out of the gates in Japan's BT10 was the fact that uh, Blue Hybrids was still around. And going into our BT10, uh, Tommy already got hit. So that already makes Blue Hybrids need to focus and shift away from the hybrid base that it was playing off of. Uh, it's still good, but uh, and there's plenty of Japanese lists that don't use the hybrids, but that was a contributing factor to their early success. So I guess I'll, I'll start. I'll try and summarize the deck without just... Um, the whole theme of the deck, it is a blue strip stun deck, very similarly minded to blue hybrids. 
the only difference is is that a lot of its effects gain value from the Stripter Sun Digimon. Out so it, blue hybrids, it was basically just the Dual Tamer, allowing them to gain memory. Uh, multiple instances of that, like so, you'd start your turn with seven memory or so every turn, and then attack with level four hybrids. But blue flares allows you to strip stun opponent's Digimon, and then using Kiriha again, use Digicross from your hand to tuck sources, um, or to tuck from underneath the Digimon because the lower tiered, uh, so the level Fours? Yeah, it's the level fours. Yeah, the level four. Because so the level three doesn't. Yeah. But the level fours do. No, so the so the level three sets up the level fours to trigger their on play abilities, and then the level fours will all have save to go under Kiriha to then be used as material for the level five. Yeah. Um and So they have their own suite of abilities, but they're pretty much exclusively activated by while you're while this digimon has blue flare and while your opponent has two or more digimon in play so uh graymon the one of level fours says uh you get to unsuspend this digimon when attacking once per turn decadramon all turns this gets a thousand dp male bird dramon you get to uh one of your opponents cannot attack or block and yeah. you don't run that. <laughs> um, sorry, just what Cyberdramon? Yeah, um, <laughs> I I saw an inheritable can... ability and I read it and I was like, wait a minute, you don't play this card? No, so so the deck can run Cyberdramon and there are builds, but he's not really that great. So... It's mostly just Greymon, uh, Deckerdramon, and Male Birdramon. So, and they all have like their own suite of on play abilities that wants to be triggered off of the Gaussmon. Because the whole idea is you're swinging with Gaussmon, delete himself, ideally because he has a thousand DP and he's going to die to virtually almost everything. Mm -hmm. um, I, I say this in jest. He doesn't because, have like, save though. Uh, it, no, because you want the on delete ability to be able to play the level fours. Yeah, so yeah. the level fours, uh, Greymon's on play ability is basically uh, the deck's digging tool. Yep. It's looking for blue flares and your Kiriha. Uh, Male Bergermon is the card that's going to be letting you play your Kiriha for free, or returning a Metal Greymon from your trash to your hand. Um, so it's pretty good at just grabbing back some of the pieces. And then uh, Deckerdramon is your draw engine, where it's just on play, draw a card, and then draw more for each opponent, for each Digimon the opponent has. So like if they just have like three Digimon, you're drawing four cards off of Deckerdramon. It's absolutely crazy um so and like that level of consistency also is what's leaning into the deck's benefit it's not necessarily trying to strip as much um it it has a couple of strip tools that it likes to use to keep the digimon on the field because they're already trying to stun it just for the opponent having more digimon on field so it, it created this dynamic where it's like oh your digimon can't do anything Let's start getting rid of its inheritables to make it even worse, and then have alternative ways to stun it to then keep it on the field longer. Yeah. Um, a bulk of the stripping coming from the aforementioned dual tamer, that when you're attacking, you tap the tamer and strip sources. Yep. Um, uh, and that's what made it want to run blue hybrids, is because 
it was just the best deck to start stripping and stunning even more. Um, and the deck can still run it. It's just without less Tommy. Efficient. I don't know. Yeah, I mean the decks. You'd still run ran, like, one Tommy. Like I yeah, most lists yeah. ran like two or three Tommy. Two. Yeah, it wasn't Tommy. Wasn't like a hardcore four of. It was just something else for the deck to do. It was another tamer. Um, and when you actually digivolve it, um, you could then use the fact that you could shove the cards underneath that tamer to digivolve into uh, your higher stage Digimon to reuse the abilities in an alternative way. Not saying that's the most effective way to do it, uh, but it is a possible line of play that they could have incorporated. But the center focal point of the blue flare deck is in Metal Greymon, which is trying to be that um, shout cross four. It's just not as good as it because it obviously can't reduce itself to one. Uh, he reduces himself to three by digicrossing with a Greymon and male Bergermon, which is why um, a good tech card that a lot of people ran in Japan was the starter deck uh, Greymon because, well, it's a Greymon by name. You don't care about the fact that you're never going to be hard playing it. You're always going to be using it as digicross material to shove underneath your uh, metal Greymon for those instances where the opponent doesn't have two or more Digimon to gain the full suite of the abilities that you want. Well, I mean, also, well, because the, um, yeah, well, so it just gives you a surprise sec plus one in a deck that otherwise would only be able to chip once per turn. Again, if, if as Zidith mentioned, unless your opponent has two or more Digimon, then the other Greymon would unsuspend you, but if you can't do that, you can just swing for two checks, and it's essentially the same thing. Um, but I would say the focal point is not Metal Greymon. Now, I, I guess I'm being a little cheeky here. Metal Greymon is the, the face card of the deck. It is the big bad of the deck. It, it's its boss monster, essentially, with Decker-Dramon only it's being... It's the super rare, yeah. Yeah, Decker-Dramon is just the armor form of Metal Greymon. You digivolve over Metal Greymon for two... And then when you do so, you get to, uh, if Decker-Dramon's in the sources, one of your opponent's Digimon cannot attack or block. Adding to the fact that Metal Greymon states, um, if you digicrossed three, if you digicrossed three of your opponent's Digimon with a number of sources less than or equal to this Digimon, cannot attack or block. That's a really weird wording. But, um, basically this Digimon's sources... Um, yeah, that that's also part of why they wanted to strip the sources, so that way it would always have less, so that way it's just more instances on being able so to So you stop. can basically, as wide as your opponent's bore, I don't care if they're, you know, five, five Digimon out, and you still, you can strip and stun the whole board, and then Digivolve in a Decker, giving you the Armor Purge of Decker, as well as being a 10k body instead of a 8k body even though decker gives a thousand inherently so it just makes makes decker essentially the level six of the deck um even though it doesn't run any level sixes but uh what i really mean when i say i'm being cheeky is the real focal card of the deck is actually blazing memory boost potentially the most efficient card in the game's history uh everyone's complaining about death x but no one's complaining about blazing memory boost five costed option card it states, on play, reveal the top six cards of your deck, add two with blue flares to your hand, and then play a Kiriha 
from the remainder for free. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, it, it does Blazing have some Mem weird ruling, though. Blazing Memory Boost itself is a blue flare. You can add blue flare to your hand with blue flare, and it has the same memory boost ability of delay, so you could basically play this for five. Kiriha normally costs four. It is a memory boost that costs one, adds plus one cards to your hand, so it's, you know, it replaces itself and adds one, and then will later uh, delay for two more memory on a following turn. Uh, we do have to acknowledge that it does have a really weird ruling, where you cannot play the Kiriha if you do not add two cards, and if one of the cards in there is Kiriha, you can't play the Kiriha that you added. It, it has some, like, really weird stipulations, but in yeah, terms like, of, like... Yeah, it's like state-based rulings, because technically when it checks... Kiriha isn't in your hand, so if you have to add Kiriha to your hand to make the the above true, then the bottom can't be true. It, it's less confusing if you've played Magic, but I could understand it being a not super in like involved. It without specifically looking up an FAQ, uh, you I wouldn't expect you to know that. Yeah, and uh, just as a, a little funny aside, the the translation on the vast majority of the Blazing Memory Boosts does state Christopher, uh, but because we do have that uh, little ruling that we're supposed to, like, if there's a discrepancy in the names, we're always supposed to treat it as the Japanese name, so it's not really that big of a deal. It's just going to be grabbing the Blue Flare Tamer, which we already know is Kiriha. I mean, just because you mentioned it, that's not even the worst thing, because um, at least it refers to the correct Tamer, even if it's the wrong name. <laughs> I mean, um, I don't know. The set, the what set is it? was weird with which, how many errors it had. Which option card is it? There's, I know there's an option uh, card. It was Buzzing Fist. Yeah, Buzzing Fist refers to yeah, the, Nene. The, and... uh, no, it, it refers to just Black Tamer, and it's supposed to be uh, you. Uh, mm -hmm. And then it did get errated on the errata page, but there's still more erratas that aren't on the errata page. And I'm just like, oh my god, what is, what is going on with this set? But... Yeah, you have to get uh, a pre-release version of the card to get your errata. Uh, at least for Blazing Memory Boost, um, there is no like errata corrected version for Buzzing Fist and the other cards because the Green Egg, uh, it doesn't have the once per turn on the English version um, for whatever reason, which actually does change the dynamic of how that card works. Um, but erratas aside, uh, Blue Flares is still looking to be a pretty good deck. Um, I don't know if all of the Guru players are going to be swapping off of it and going to um, Blue Flares. Uh, I know any player who was playing Blue Hybrids probably is, because Blue Flares is basically Blue Hybrids 2.0. Um, with the just core concept on set up your tamers, strip and stun the opponent's Digimon, abuse the fact that they're stripped and stunned to gain more value, and then make sure my level 5 can reuse my level fours and my level fours reuse my level fives and it all just like feeds into itself into like this really interesting play cycle um on how you want to approach uh the opponent yeah um so there are definitely more decks to discuss we'll we'll probably have to add a follow-up to this in the next episode but just to really get to the the true uh i guess the discussion piece at hand of now that we are aware of what the BT10 decks are that are mostly introduced at the top end, um, 
I guess it would be relevant at this point to say that at least in the sphere of influence of top decks, Alphamon was the fourth best deck in Japan, and that's counting yellow hybrids, which no longer exists for us. So a yellow deck may come up that still gets to uh, um, abuse Venusmon in some capacity, but until somebody comes up with a list, I'm not going to pretend that yellow hybrids is going to be in the running at all. So that would potentially make Alphamon the third best deck of the format. Um, and... and the fact that he's not, um, like, he doesn't have his nerf means that there's more reason to actually play him because he's still a very powerful deck. He's not getting anything new in this set, so you're still playing the same deck. But the fact that he's still just that good um, does warrant him still being played. And he uniquely now plays around Crosshearts because he can't be DP minused, and um, that's their really only removal piece is to DP minus something. And outside of Death X itself, and uh, plays around blue flares because they don't really go too wide. Uh, it really is just is positioned to be a very... It doesn't have to be super OTK focused as it was in the previous format. And I think a lot of people that did stick around with it um, acknowledge the, the true flexibility and strength of it because there's just really nothing that can beat a Alphamon deck that doesn't have to lean into its OTK and just use the fact that Every card searches for an ex-antibody, and every card in your deck is an ex-antibody. Um, but with regard to North America, I th obviously a lot of people will be playing Crosshearts, and I guess the early jumping-off point is just that I do not believe Crosshearts will be as dominating of a force as it was in North America. It still will potentially be just as meta-defining, though. Because the interesting thing is how the deck is going to perform in large events. Like, because all of Japanese stuff never really passed, like, six rounds. I think, like, the highest one was, like, what, 32? It, it was an average of, rounds. it was average of, like, yeah, six rounds, best of one. Yeah, so, like, there's still a lot more rigorous, like, hardcore testing that the deck needs to go through in order to be able to prove itself to be as powerful and as consistent as it needs to be to be a top tier competitive deck because getting lucky and like just having good uh, a good run is something that is more prevalent in best of ones than in best of threes best of threes you really need to hone and craft the deck more for consistency rather than those splash uh like splashy power plays that uh usually japan tends to favor over um the english audience and it's also, it's, it is lonely at the top, and we saw it with Alphamon, and I, I have no doubt in my mind that we will see it with Crosshearts, where there will be a lot of people that come out and they say, Crosshearts is the best deck, I want to play Crosshearts. And they do. And then everyone that isn't playing Crosshearts, even the people that are playing Crosshearts, text their deck to beat Crosshearts. And it is... Because of the splash ability, because of the um, accessibility of Death X, it is just that easy just to... Honestly, a lot of um, early looks at some competitive North American lists I've seen people building. Blue Flares, two Death X. Crosshearts, two Death X. Um, yellow hybrid Secon with uh, Anjuwoman, Anjuwoman Axe Recovery, three Death X. It's just that easy, and 
we all knew this was coming. People, hopefully, stock up on your death axes. Everybody clutch them tightly. Um, and just use and abuse it until we hear otherwise. Because we're probably not going to get another banned restriction announcement until January, if we get one at all. Yep. Uh, and, like, it's not all, like, doom and gloom. Uh, granted, this I don't is think that's be, doom like, and gloom at all. I think it's well, like it's, it's going to be a be... super short like BT10 as a whole is going to be a super short format. So like there's literally one large event for BT10 as BT10 before we jump right into EX3. And I think eh. EX3 is going to be a little bit more interesting uh just because there's well, obviously more stuff going on. So um I guess since you mentioned it uh EX3 started out significantly more diverse than BT10 was. But by the end of it, kind of, it, it was almost like a phase. And by the end of EX3, we, we, we ended um, BT10 with There Is Only Cross Hearts, and we ended EX3 with There Is Only Cross Hearts. So, that being said, uh, EX3 adds a couple decks to the pool, changes a couple things up, but just like EX2, it doesn't really change the total competitive meta landscape um, as far as like decks 1, 2, 3 are concerned. It mostly shuffles like maybe a four or five, maybe it maybe it does. I don't know, but um, really, I think Cross Arts is gonna just go through its trials. It, it's going to have to prove to us as North American competitive players, ready and primed to know what the deck wants to do, and just be ready to beat it. Because as we mentioned, uh, Gaiomon already saw much more success in North America in BT9 than it did in Japan in BT9. And now I think it will only retain that level of play, if not increase that level of play, due to its Cross Hearts matchup and how well it interacts with deleting their tamers, even with what limited capabilities it has at the moment. Also knowing, because North American pl players like to be projecting forward, they like to future-proof their decks, and, forward thinking. Yeah, forward thinking. And BT11, Black War Greymon gets a whole heap of new support and just really kind of blows the lid off and looks to be BT11's strongest deck. So I think Gaiomon, if if not Death X, then at least Gaiomon will really pressure Crosshearts players to um, at least reconsider. Reconsider if, like, are you really top dog? And if potentially, like, Gaiomon having worse matchups against other opponents, potentially outshone um, by the fact that it just absolutely bodies cross hearts if it can make a couple key plays. Most notably, deleting the only Taiki they have, the only access they have to the on-play Digicross, and potentially one other Digimon removing their saved sources. On top of them just having a big blocker to stop any aggro. Um, so, I just think, I think... that this, like, like it, and, and I haven't seen a lot of people really doom-speaking um, BT-10. No, I think it's going to be more B interesting than what people anticipate. Uh, just like how BT-9 was not as, like, OTK-heavy as people thought. There was still a very wide plethora of decks to play. I think this is just basically going to be another bt9 situation where like we're overthinking i wouldn't say that you're thinking <laughs> on how doom and gloom it is well because well so 
uh, BT9 still ultimately ended up, it was just what flavor of OTK were you playing? Whereas BT10 has enough elements that slow down and taper the speed of the BT9 OTK decks while still being more on average or, or better on average to that they they can still win if they get their game plan developed and be aggressive enough to force the BT9 OTK decks into awkward positions. So whereas the BT9 situation we mentioned before, you could not play your memory tamer. It was too expensive and you didn't have time and it just kind of wasted you a turn and you realistically never saw too much benefit from it because you only got another two turns. Whereas now blue flares has blazing memory boost that kind of just solves that problem. They're playing their memory boost for a net cost of one after the playing the, t the tamer for free, adding two cards to your hand. And then now you have a tape. So you can just straight up on the next turn, rip the cord and just start next turn with five memory if you really need to, which is just very powerful for a short window of time. Yeah. I mean, what's making a lot of these decks perform well enough, uh, at least these uh, digicross based decks is the fact that they have alternative ways to be able to play and set up their tamers. Um, and that saves them a lot of time and effort uh, versus doing it the slow way. Uh, just because, like you said, Blazing Memory Boost does allow you to just easily set up. Um, and you have uh, Sunrise Buster that also just lets you set up even more tamers for cross hearts. Um, so, like, we're just getting more efficient ways to be able to play our tamers uh, for these decks to function on the level that they need to to compete with uh, the OTK decks. And, like, a lot of the good. BT9 decks aren't going away. It's just matchup dynamics is going to be changing just because of these decks. And I think like part of the thing on why Crosshearts is also so feared is because of how easy the deck is to build. The vast majority of the cards are on low rarities. Uh, granted, it does really like the inclusion of Death X, but like if you don't have Death X, yes, you are less competitive, but you could still play the deck and still do all everything that the deck wants to do. Um, and it's going to be, like, dirt cheap to make. DeathX only helps you on your worst day, which doesn't make it, a, like, a bad card for the deck. And still, I would say, I would be remiss if there were a list that tops a large competitive event without DeathX, um, just due to the fact that it wins you games you otherwise would lose, which is something not a lot of cards offer. So... Again, depending on to which level of competition you're speaking, uh, if you want to win locals or win a store champ, yes, you probably can play Cross Arts without Death X because there are just fewer opportunities for you to need Death X or to draw Death X when you w could have used a fourth copy of Shout 5 or something like that. And But for these large online events, I feel like it's going to save you at least once, maybe twice, like over the course of the large event to the point where you just, maybe somebody that's, you know, 41st at the event is just as competitive as the top eight are, but they lost a round because they weren't running Death X.
And unfortunately, you never see that because we never get, you know, we don't get everyone's story when we look at a list and talk about the top 16 people when the the guy that got 19th is kicking himself because he misplayed, you know? Yeah, that's fair. So, um, in... With mention, I guess, to our changes, I also think because Crossheart's being the, the focal point of the meta, be, being the big thing that everything warps around, I think it really puts uh, Jessmon, specifically Jessmon X, I guess that's really the only Jessmon left, um, into a very prime position to then, not necessarily rock, paper, scissors, but um, go more toe-to-toe, -to -toe, level per level, with your Gaiomon and your Blue Flare. Yeah, and that's the that was the rock paper to scissors dynamic I was trying to get to before. Yeah, it's just like you tech so hard into one thing, you make yourself weak to something else, and then like meta like a galaxy brain, uh, you're gonna be like, oh, if everyone's gonna be playing either the meta deck or the anti meta deck, if I'm playing the anti meta to your meta deck, the like, anti anti meta. That, <laughs> yep, uh, that's that's where like the real interesting stuff starts coming out of the woodworks and we've seen it multiple times before in the past uh where we think everything is just straight and narrow this is it and then something just comes out and just blasts people out of left field um i would probably say d reaper was that uh at the beginning of bt9 everyone just wrote it off and then it just did numbers mm -hmm. uh just because it d brigade was doing something d brigade came out yep, it was d even d later too even later yeah um, so there's there's still room for the meta to develop, even though the development cycle is going to be very short-lived because of how close I, uh, EX3 well, uh, is. Again, I, I hesitate to say that because EX3 is BT10 with extra steps. So I mean, I, yeah. I mean, it's, we're going to see, we're going to have the time, we're going to have the length of iteration. This isn't BT11, we're not adding in a new boogeyman, we're not dethroning the boogeyman with something else that just hard counters the boogeyman now um that would make something else that was like the third best deck the best deck obviously bloom lord is is the big winner um Examon exists and link dragons exist but um so they're not good enough like in japan they weren't good enough so, to do yeah, so the best deck. well our in our ex3 will just be bt10 with the full time and length of ABT10, um, allowing for iteration and development, and um, I I feel like it's potentially not even a prediction at this point because it's it's so likely to happen, at least just from the FOMO of people buying into Crosshearts, believing in that it's the best deck of the format, and just not seeing absolutely outstanding results like they thought they would potentially akin to alpha last format when everyone's gunning for you it's hard to be that much better like cross arts if cross even say let's cross cross arts is the best deck in the meta but its best matchup is a 60 percent win rate against the third or fourth best deck in the format 60 percent means you're still winning almost half you're, you're still losing almost half the time so it maybe doesn't feel like you're playing the best deck in the format when you're still getting sixth place at your locals because you lost a round. Or you're going to game three pretty consistently and you're like, man, I any one extra turn and I would have lost all of these games. Or had I not seen 
cross four exactly when I needed him. And it's that kind of pressure that I think that I don't think Cross Hearts is really going to dominate the way that it did because there are just too many people that have had too long, something that Japan never has, to plan for and plan against Cross Hearts. We've had six months of eyeing it and being like, oh my god, this deck is ridiculous. What the hell does it do? It plays it for one? <laughs> and now we just we play the Tamer removal, we play the Tamer hate, and we play the decks that can just uh, beat down and abuse the fact that they do have to set up Tamers, and sometimes they have their Tamers, they don't have their Digimon. Sometimes they have their Digimon and they don't have any Tamers, because... If they do dead draw on Tamers for some ungodly reason, they have no means of saving those Digimon, and they're just old Rookie Rush where they slam something and immediately it, it just dies and goes away. Yeah. And that's kind of how BT9 played out. Uh, like, the win percentage against various decks wasn't astronomically one-sided. Um, as I was playing Metal Guru, which was the best deck in that format, uh, I was still struggling with a wide plethora of the Tier 1 and Tier 2 decks, uh, or 1.5 and <clears throat> Tier 2 decks. So, like, I think it's going to be more interesting and uh, diverse than what we would originally anticipate. And just the sheer differences on how we play versus Japan is definitely going to shine through. Um in this format probably more specifically than the last just because of all of that time that we had to examine it uh before we actually started playing it some people were actually still starting to play it as soon as it got released in japan um and just the sheer amount of like just eyes looking at it and smart uh and talented brains that uh a lot of north american players or not north american just english players in general have um really will help shape the meta and define a lot of various other decks. And um, I I know I mentioned it briefly in passing, but we still will have a very different meta when we don't have yellow hybrids, especially Venus yellow hybrids. V like Just like when we were coming off that first meta shift and we struggled to pick up the pieces a little bit, trying to figure out what we were supposed to play because we couldn't base our lists 100% off Japan based on their meta, uh, Venus, Hybr um, Venus Hybrids was a big format gatekeeper. It Its ability just to completely shut off um, opponents when digivolving abilities, when attacking abilities, just absolutely stonewall certain decks. Um, just, it, it defined what was good and allowed... It did not allow for as many decks to really check cross hearts because then they lost to the second best deck of the format, like the slightly less, um, slightly less numerous but just as potentially impactful deck of the format in yellow hybrids. So that's why your 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 Jessmons were just way worse because a Jessmon that doesn't do anything is just a bad deck. And... and and we're also still missing the security rookies um that have security effects yep uh not all of them are super playable but like they blue still flares kind will be of hurt. matter blue flares, yeah, will blue be flares hurt. definitely will miss the blue command because that's extra card draw 
Alpha um, model missed and, the um, the black one. And uh, any loop deck will miss the Impmon just because imping back your floodgate is still kind of a relevant play. Um. Also, just note, like again, why potentially Crosshearts was so good is, uh, Venusmon only affects when digivolving or when attacking affects, uh, of which Cross Four has zero ones that are relevant. Um, so it, it can exist without its plus when attacking draw one. It doesn't shut off its end of attack ability. It doesn't stop digicrossing. So cross four was, or cross hearts and cross four specifically, were uniquely positioned to be completely unaffected by Venusmon's fog effect. Which, again, if, if someone can make and build a list that is competitive that uses Venusmon, because Venusmon is a fantastic build-around card because its ability is a fog effect, for those that aren't aware. Um, so, just like Ice Wall, just like... What else? There's a couple of fog effects in the game now, so... Fog... Uh, uh, Grand or not Grand Quagamon, uh, Akuamon Pro. Akuamon, um, basically meaning the when digivolving all opponents gain, that it, it just kind of sits there on the field like a fog. And so even if your Digimon is in raising and therefore untargetable, when it does raise, it then enters the fog, gains the security attack minus one, gains the now that it has its security attack manipulated in any way, which is the way that Venusmon reads. So if you're a security plus or security minus any instance of extra security manipulation, um, then you lose your when digivolving and lose your when attacking effects. Yeah. Uh, but we'll probably next week get into a lot more decks. I know we just talked out of our butt on um, Cross Hearts and a little bit on Blue Flares. Obviously, there's more to the meta than just those decks, especially the ones that are like new and emerging. Um, so we'll get more into that uh, next week. Yeah. Um, and I uh, I just feel that we would be, or at least get questions about it, had we not mentioned it, because we kind of wrapped up the, the top top of the the meta this week or at least in reference to cross hearts and cross hearts itself but um you the uh, minerva loop north american players love purple decks north american players love competitive purple decks so for something like minerva loop to kind of like pop up again and be relevant like the way lilith loop was when it was at its full strength um i haven't got to play with it a whole lot myself but it, it has that capability to just win in the same aspect that Lilith Loop did. So for a, a podcast episode, a discussion to not mention Minerva Mon is unfortunately our bad, but we'll definitely have time next week to talk about it. Um, we may even start with it if we remember. But there's still a lot more to be said about the BT-10 meta and unfortunately, it does kind of feel like we're just talking about cross hearts, but that's how that's how you develop a meta. That is how you develop a strategy when you look at your most likely line of opponents. How do those decks function? Why do those decks win the way that they win? And then how can you use your tools to combat their tools? So everything does have to be taken within the context of how does this beat cross hearts? How does cross hearts play around this? Does this play into blue flares? Stuff like that.
Yep, and the only big event um, that CrossArts, like the big first test on the BT10 meta, uh, the foray of it, is going to be on October 29th. It's going to be a DC Cup uh, or DC or DC One Grand yep. Prix, um, held by a new TO. So uh, they are trying to branch out a little bit more, get more TOs on board. Uh, I don't know if this is just a tech replacement or if this is just in compliments to tech, um, considering I know tech, there was a lot of drama. Um, but uh, that's going to be when the first big BT10 event is going to be outside of all of these store championships that are ideally going to be starting this weekend. Um, yeah, that's a good way to end it. Uh, anyone that hasn't, just feel free to put in the comments what you guys think we should any questions I guess you have not necessarily like viewer questions of the week but just how your reaction to BT10 what you think how it'll turn out how it'll start and uh, we'll potentially use that as a point of focus for next episode so thank you and goodbye later